Hey, I want to welcome you here today, and today we're going to have a conversation, uh, really just for the next two weeks, that we're calling Toxic Beliefs. And, and some of it just deals with um, the struggle that we all can have with our uh, emotions that lead to the beliefs that we then carry, that then lead to the actions that we then live out. And uh, as I was thinking about it this week, Um, This idea of quitting came up, and what I mean by this is you and I, we're on the fence when it comes to quitting. Like, we we, kind of look down on the idea, like, we don't like any quitters, but we also kind of also see the, like, you got to stand up for yourself and just be like, I'm done with this. Like, we we understand that kind of juxtaposition on this, but we all, like, internally, like, we, we, we quit all the time things, like, if we're honest with ourselves, you and I, we, we, we say we're going to do something and then we don't do it for very long. We quit. But we also like it, deep within us, we kind of understand this underdog, like through all the trials and tribulations, the person that remains faithful and they commit and they persevere through it. Like that's the story we love to support. And today we're, we're going to look at a section of scripture about a guy named Elijah. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Kings chapter 19, Old Testament, a little earlier on. If you don't have a Bible but would love to read from a physical one, maybe even have your own, we would love to give you one. All you have to do is just raise your hand and someone's going to run to you and hand you a Bible. Uh, but First Kings chapter 19, we enter into a guy named Elijah. Now, Elijah's a prophet. This means, uh, in a sense, uh, God is going to use him to speak to the people. And Elijah speaks, and he does amazing things. Uh, he is used by God in an amazing way, so much so that in the New Testament, when Jesus comes around, and he actually uh, starts to do his ministry, speaks to people, swarms and crowds of people start to gather, listening in on the words of Jesus. And when they do, many of them ask this question. They say, is this the return of Elijah? Like that alone is kind of crazy if you stop and think about it for a second. Like if, if you were to meet me at the grocery store and we have an interaction and you're like, wow, this guy's nice. Hopefully you would say that. Possibly you wouldn't. Uh, your next response, if it was, he reminds me of this guy named Jesus. Like that would be crazy. We would all, accept, like that's not normal. That is what happened when they met Jesus. They were like, this sounds like that Elijah guy. So this is how like impressive, how, how God used him in amazing ways Elijah was. Elijah did ministry during a time that was kind of tentious. Israel had rulers, kings, and one of them was named Ahab. Ahab was uh, really a selfish like dictator uh, known for just oppressing people. And his wife was actually, could be biblically known as the worst woman in the world. And her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel is um, a woman that was actually famous for having prophets murdered. So this is what she's known for. Like, man, she's just a a, a mean woman. And uh, this is what she's known for. And Elijah, a prophet, is doing ministry in this time. This is the setting. And we enter uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, and it says this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now it's speaking of the chapters before it. So chapter 17 and 18, uh, just to give like a a 30,000 foot view, this is what goes down. Elijah uh, and a crowd, like even the king Ahab, all of them are on the outskirts of town, and they're kind of having a debate. 
about whose God is real. See, they worshiped a God named uh, Bel, and then Elijah was the prophet for God. And uh, they would, they would uh, debate all this, and they finally came to this idea, uh, what if we build an altar, and then we would pray to our God, and if our God is real, he will send fire from heaven, ignite the altar, and that'll be proof for everyone. So they agree on this deal. And it says then that the uh, prophets of Bel, they would begin the work, and they prepare their altar, they get it all ready, and then they pray, and nothing happens. So then they go to the next act and they, they're dancing. They're like doing whatever they can. Like maybe God wants a dance. He doesn't want your dancing. And, uh, and nothing happens. It even says biblically that uh, Elijah's kind of on the outskirts. He's looking in and he starts like talking trash. Like he starts like, mm, is your God sleeping? Like what's going on? Like maybe your phone doesn't work. Uh, like all this is happening. And they get so extreme that they begin to cut themselves. Maybe God will finally be happy with me now. Nothing happens silent now they now they go okay Elijah your turn like let's see if your God will answer Elijah he he begins to build his altar it says biblically that he takes uh the wood and he gets it wet uh which I'm not like the smartest guy but I'm pretty sure that when you want wood to ignite usually you don't get it wet right before you do that so he's only doing it more so like this is how strong powerful my God is he gets it wet he prepares the altar he prays and fire from heaven come down. Like if we just stop for a moment and just think about that. If you were there, you're on the outskirt, you're in the back, but you just see, I mean, from heaven, fire coming down. Like what an amazing moment, right? And Elijah will go back to the city and you got to think that his biggest thought is, as a prophet, you're trying to tell the people where they're going wrong. Like God is saying, man, get back on track. You're missing something. And for them, they've begun worshiping Baal and all this stuff and just looking at their own selfish, all this stuff. And, and he's like, maybe this is the moment. This is the revival. This is the time. He gets excited, like the wind behind him. When things are good, they're good, right? When, when your experiences around you, when your job, your career, whatever it is, like all that, like when things are good, they're good. And then it says in verse two, and it goes on, it says, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you. Now, it says, just as you killed them. Now, this is going back to Old Testament times. So uh, what would happen, and the whole crowd was in on it too, uh, when Elijah proved his God is real and the God of Baal is not, uh, they then murdered all the prophets of Baal, which a little crazy, but that's how Old, time, Old Testament happens. And then verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Think about this for just a moment. You just prayed to God that he would bring fire from heaven, ignite the altar. And the next thing that happens is on your way back to Israel where you think a revival is happening, instead you are threatened for your life. And it says the next thing he did, he flees because he's fearful. He just saw fire from heaven, but he's fearful. And for some of us, even that, we, we go like, oh, like why, why wouldn't he just see, like if God can do that, then God will provide or protect and all this and but we can look at this is the real emotional status if you will of Elijah in this moment he's fearful and he flees and how quickly things can turn and for some of us maybe we we know this all too well 
Life is good. It seems like just things are coasting along. And then one sudden thing, and it changes everything. The emotions that just kind of teeter and totter, like in life, we go back and we go forth. Like all this happens, and it, it says it to this level. It says, so he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone, all by himself, into the wilderness, traveling all day. And hear this, he sat down at a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He says, I've had enough. And then he says, Lord, he said, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. What he's saying is the prophets that came before me, they came and they spoke and nothing changed and nothing will change again. Like I'm done. I quit. I've had enough. And like, just imagine this for a moment. This is within a short time period that this all would occur. And he goes from such a high to such a low. And the emotions that he faces, for some of us, maybe we could stop and be like, dude, like, man, he's missing it. Like, if he just would stop and see the hand of God, then he wouldn't be so fearful and wouldn't be to a place where he literally says, I just don't want to live anymore. I've had enough. I'm done. I quit. Like, God, just take my life. And we could look at that and be like, man, he's missing it. But we could also look at it and be like, that just seems like the reality of our own emotions sometimes. Like, we're all led by our emotions often, and it's our experiences that affect our emotions, and then they affect our, our actions, and this goes on. And for some of us, we, we, we experience it at different levels. For some of us, maybe we know there are people that, man, it seems like they, uh, they, uh, the graph goes up and down very drastic for them. And for others, it seems like you're just like this. And sometimes we think this is just better. But if you're married to a person that their emotional status is this their entire life, that is not exciting. Like we, uh, I'm not saying he fully, but like one of our kids, like for Christmas, we got him something awesome. I thought he was going to be excited. And he was like this, thanks. Like that's not, like that, that, that's not desirable all, also. Like we understand that. But we, when it gets to bad things, then sometimes we want that person that just seems like they're just coasting through life. And for some of us, maybe, maybe it's a lot harsher. For, for some of us, maybe it doesn't feel as harsh, but it's still real. Like for me, my wife can be like, are you in a funk today? Like she could just see it. And it's like, there's, I can't point at anything. Like, I don't know why, but today just doesn't feel like a good day. I don't like this day. Like that's just how it feels. I can get to the point where I meet with my community group. And my question this last week was, what's the point of life? And their response is like, you're the pastor. You're supposed to answer that one. But like, that's a real question sometimes because if you stop and you think about it for a moment, wherever we're at, whatever you do, it just seems like there's another Monday that comes and another one that comes. And get this, you do that the rest of your life and then you stop going to the job that you used to go to, but now you just sit at home all day. But your body's so weak because you're older now that like your Mondays come and they just come again. And this is the rotation of life until you take your last breath. Like, that doesn't sound that exciting. So what is the point? What's the, like, we can get to places where we start to just rabbit hole down areas and, and struggle. And we can look at Elijah, and he's at a place where he, he got his life threatened. That's not desirable, right? She had a lot of power. So you're like, man, you're going to have to flee and run. But he also knows that God is a God that can send fire from heaven down to an altar and ignite it. So he also knows he's, he's following and he is used by God, uh, that God. So we, we experience all this to then end with like, 
what do we do with like these emotions, these feelings, these things that we're facing? And my question is this, for all of us to some level or another, we have emotions and they do dictate some form of our life. Like that is real. And for some of us, it's hard to understand others that experience it at a much more like intense level, if you will. And it seems to me, and this is not in the scripture, so this is me just saying it. It seems to me like this is Elijah. Like he goes from one extreme to the other. From the highest of high to revivals happening in the streets of Israel to fleeing from my life. God, I don't even want to live. And he goes through the same roller coaster of life that we all go through. And I, I ask this question because we can read the text. And, and the text has been used, and I think it's accurate, but I think it's missing some of it. When, not the text, but our interpretation of the text. And uh, it, it's the next verses where it says then, when he's out in the wilderness alone, he says, God, I don't want to live anymore. I quit. I'm done. The next thing God tells him to do is take a nap and eat some food. And like we use that and I, I love it, but we use that as like almost like, hey, if you're having a bad day, take a nap and eat some food. And some people, you could be like, yeah, that ain't going to fix this problem. Like this is deeper than that. Like, like that might be helpful, but that ain't it, right? And we can all like, I, what I would say is like, that's the beauty of God's hand at play in our life. It's very accurate scientifically, anatomy wise, the, the benefits of sleeping for your body and your mental health are good. The benefits of food for our bodies, if you've ever been uh, with someone that gets what we call hangry, it is not beautiful and we don't like to see it. Um, I did not look at my wife right now, I promise. And uh, like those are real, but those are not the fullness of the picture. There are still these emotions and these tensions for some that they face, like a nap and some food does not fix it alone. And what God then says, and he says it in verse 7, it says, the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And sometimes we go very literal. So we're like, okay, he had to eat and that was enough. But I think it's speaking to something even deeper than this. That there's something in preparation for all of us that we have to do, or the journey will be too much. There is a journey ahead. The journey we're told as Christians is not one of easy, simple living. Like, it is difficult sometimes, but you will always have the strength and the will that you need through the work of Christ. Here's what I mean. Sometimes for us, maybe for you, you've fallen for a lie that once you've accepted Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, then life is supposed to be easy or that then everything is supposed to be good. And then when you experience something bad, then the question comes, What's going on here? And either you question God or you question your own salvation, but either way you're questioning the wrong things because that was never a part of the agreement. The agreement was that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives would help us get through any trials that might come our way. And this then unpacks the problem. What do we do with this? For some of us, maybe you're pretty easygoing. Your emotions kind of go like this, not too much though. You go, it's not that big of a deal. I'm good. For some of us, maybe you know someone, they're rocking a lot harder. It's a lot more difficult. The, the things that they're facing, their own um, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, 
Like these things hit a lot harder that you and I, maybe we can't even understand precisely. We can't put our finger on it because it just doesn't seem that severe. Maybe that would be what you would do if you were Elijah's friend in that moment. You would look at Elijah and be like, man, like, dude, relax. You just saw fire from heaven come down. Why are you freaking out now? But for Elijah, it was real. And that's what he faced. And the question then becomes, how do we properly prepare? Where the angel of the Lord says, eat some more so you'll be ready for your journey. And for you and for me, as we continue our lives and the journey ahead, how do we properly prepare? So that's the conversation I want to unpack. And I want to do that with someone. So would you put your hands together and welcome Phyllis up to the stage? Um, okay, so this is Phyllis. She's one of our leaders here. She uh, leads a ministry uh, called Renew. Um, it's what we would put under the umbrella, if you will, of our groups where people get together and have real authentic relationships and conversations. And Renew is one surrounded around mental health. Um, and it's, uh, um, it's for uh, not just those that deal with it, but also the family members uh, that can help support through it. Yes. yes. So also with that, tell us um, a little about you. So um, for those of you that don't know, while long while ago, I was involved in the women's ministry and I was leading the women's ministry here at this church. And through that, I started recognizing that I was kind of doing a lot of counseling because a lot of women in the ministry, they felt that they were broken. They had things that happened in their lives. And I ended up kind of going one-on-one with them and staying in contact with them and stuff. And so through that, I ended up also getting involved in another ministry, (laughs) and that's called Pearl. And that's called the Pearl Workshop, and it's out there from coming out of uh, the Relationship Warehouse, which is a real counseling place. And through that, I got to mentor women, and God just kept putting it on my heart. He had me in a certain direction. And so I ended up feeling like, okay, then I need to really equip myself is this, if this is where God's taking me. So I ended up going back to school, which that is God, because I'm not a school person. And <laughs> I ended up, I am now a student over at Gateway Seminary, and I'm going for my Christian counseling certificate. So that's what yeah. I'm So when we, when we talk about this topic, and... and so you guys understand, this is a topic that often isn't talked about in the church. Um, no. It's a topic that, like, if I'm being honest, is difficult even for me because I feel like I don't understand it properly. Um, and, but it's, it is one that I believe is real and is, um, it does face many of us as a problem that we have to go, how do we properly, if you will, resolve this. So here's what I would first ask for someone maybe more like me or for others that even more of that even kill temperament. Um, how can we pr- better understand what, um, what is really going on with someone? Uh-oh, the glasses are coming out. Yes, that, here, now we're getting serious. <laughs> so I wanted to start off with the scripture. So it's Psalms 13, 2 through 4. It says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? 
Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. When I read that scripture, it just really made, it just resonated because um, that's how a lot of people feel that are dealing with mental health. The, the term, the struggle is real, for them, the struggle really is real. And I don't think that we can really grasp that if we aren't, you know, having any type of issues with our mental health. The first thing that I kind of go to is a lot of times during um, our daily lives, you know, we, over, we come across things and it might be a little difficult, you know. So for us, if we were to rate that, it would be like, okay, well, today I've kind of had an issue, but it's about a four for me. But somebody who's me uh, dealing with mental health, that same issue could be like a 12. And along the lines, that's for them daily. So that's things that we don't understand if, you know, if, we, if we're not aware. The other thing is, even to that point where it could be just a struggle to even get out of bed in the morning. You know, we, we get out and we go and do our things, but for persons that are dealing with mental health, it's hard. It's hard for them to make that move. The other thing that we don't often recognize either is, you know, if we see somebody with a broken arm, they have it in the cast, a sling or what, we know that that's what they're dealing with. But for mental health, it's nothing that we could see. Just like here, we're at church, we see each other, we say, hi, how are you? Oh, good, we're fine, you know. But we don't go deeper there. So we're kind of not understanding. There may be a lot going on that we just don't even see, that we don't know. Um, through that, sometimes it's hard for them to share because there's a stigma regarding mental health. And I'm sorry to say, even to this day, that is still an occurrence, that there's a stigma and people feel that maybe they can't reach out because they don't want to be labeled, you know, things like that. But the best thing is to talk more about it. And the other thing that I do want to mention about is medications. You know, some people with that stigma, they won't want to seek help. They don't want to have medication because they don't want to be looked upon as being, you know, different, that kind of thing. But what I've honestly witnessed with people that are trying to actually get medication, if they don't have insurance, it's extremely difficult. Or if you're on a low income where you can't afford these things or a budget, some of these medications, you know, even if you have insurance, it's like a, over $100. But these are things that they need. Some people need medication, some people don't. And those that do, it's just, they're using a process of, of a resource just to have a productive life. And they need that. See, and these are the struggles that we don't see because we don't, you know, we don't deal with these things. But I've come across that a lot with patient, uh, people having, you know, no, no means for medication. And it's a struggle, you know, because if you're not on medication, you might really affect with your family members as well. They're going to see you struggling more than usual, that kind of thing. And speaking about, sometimes, like, I know historically when it came to medication, especially for mental health, almost seclusively for mental health, it was almost like a stigma religiously as like, um, that's not neat, like you shouldn't yeah. use that. Mm -hmm. Where yeah. 
in all other scenarios, we're, we're okay with medication. Like, right. I don't, most of us, I don't think we wouldn't go to the doctor and be like, no, don't give me anything for my broken arm. Like, no, they're going right. to give you something, that. right? Um, and, and then if we go even further back historically, we look at uh, the originator of hospitals and the production of science and like saying we want to understand the human body and uh, anatomy, all this was the church. Uh, uh, from the very beginning, it was like, we know there's a divine creator and we want to understand his creation more. And in the same way, sometimes I think we have to make sure we properly look at this of if you don't feel it, it's hard to understand it. But if we look at the greater picture of, um, if, we, if we really do our research, I think God calls us to that every time, question and wonder, but then we can come to a decision that medication is not always a bad thing, but actually a, a thing that God said, you know, I created amazing things that humanity still has yet to fully understand and utilize. But, right. You know, you know, the same like the helicopter, you know, if the Lord sends you a helicopter, go ahead and get on it. He sent it for a reason. The thing, too, is a lot of times that it's just because they feel like, you know, it's all in your head that it's not real. But it is real, you know. So you may not recognize or see, but things are going on. And the, the reason, like, I kind of, it makes me think about, like, what Pastor Scott was mentioning about Elijah. He got to a point where he said, enough is enough. I'm, I'm done. Take me. So when I hear that scripture, it actually speaks to me personally because that is part of why I also have gotten very interested in counseling is because uh, my mother, she had a mental health problem. At the time, we didn't really even know that's what was going on. And so seeing how Elijah felt, I can see, you know, what it was with my mother because if you would have told me, you know, years ago, like, did you, do you ever think, Phyllis, that you would be coming across one of your loved ones attempt suicide? I would have said no. No. But that did happen for me. And it was my mother. And she was at a point in her life, going through a divorce, where it was so painful for her that that was the only thing she could think to do. And I went through that with her, like literally came home, found her. I, I mean, this was so difficult at age 18 or 19, and I didn't know what to do. And so I called the phone, like a friend, you know, said, call the police. I mean, everything, the whole thing. Police came. I didn't know what's going on. She went to the hospital, and now here we are in the hospital, and she, she survived, and I just sat there looking at her, and she's looking at me, and it was just like I could see the pain that she was going through to that point. But at that time, I was kind of filled with my own thoughts of, wow, am I not important enough for you to want to stay? You know, these are thoughts and feelings that occurred, so here we are both you know, in a, in a very hurtful place. So when it comes to suicide, there's things that I think, I don't know if you'd call them myths, you know, what you would call them. But sometimes we're under the impression that, and I've heard this before, when, you know, somebody's, a, you know, talking about suicide, that it's just a cry for attention. But I just want to let you all know, it's not a cry for attention, it's a cry of desperation. 
they are at a point where it's just too much for them. And with that, you know, that's things to be aware of. Um, the other thing that I think I've heard definitely down, down the way here was, you know, for somebody to commit that act, they will lose their salvation. And so I have a scripture that I wanted to read um, regarding this. And it's Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. This is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and on that real quick, here's what I, here's what I want to say. One, Suicide um, would go outside of God's design um, and his desire and his plan and his purpose. Um, but it, for me, biblically speaking, it is very difficult to ever get to a place where we could say it also goes outside of his ability to still keep us saved, if you will, or to save us. That is a far stretch. But I can say, like, that is not a... Man, I do believe that that a cry out of desperation and that to be at a place where you feel like there is no other solution, what a sad and, and very um, dark place for someone to be at. Uh, I do still believe that God can uh, redeem us out of that, that he has a plan through that, like all that is possible. Um, but when we talk about, and sometimes that has been said, and, and I know there's arguments of, of biblically, but for me, when you look at that biblically, um, you, you can't say that God's salvation had to stop before that line. Um, his, his strength is still sufficient. His grace and the work of the cross is still sufficient, but it is never saying that that is a good decision. Right. And I think that's very important for us to yes, understand. very. When you're in situations, um, the other thing is, you know, to be aware of people around you. And, you know, they're not, they may not tell you, but, you know, to keep your eyes open. The other part of that is to have some hard conversations. You know, when you see somebody that's in a really distress and you feel this, then you need to ask, do you have a plan? That's a very easy thing to say. Do you have a plan? If this person says, yeah, I've been thinking this, this, and this, then you know it's time, okay, let's, let's seek help for you. Or the other thing was um, you could just simply ask them, you know, I know that you're going through something right now, really, really difficult. You know, are you having any type of thoughts of harming yourself? You know, these are hard things for us to say, but very necessary. Because um, so many people, you know, especially I always say after a pandemic, there's just been so much more anxiety, so much more depression. You know, people that didn't seem to have anything going on, all of a sudden these things are, are coming out. So that's just another important thing. Those questions, I think, just point a picture to what the church is meant to be, which is of sometimes even uncomfortable conversations. That's what we're supposed to be. Like, a fam what do family talk about? They talk about the hard stuff, too. Um, if we're family, then we're, we're going to get through all of it, including the ones that are not as comfortable that you don't feel like. Uh, so I, I just, that's a picture of, I think, what we as, as the church are called to be like. 
Sorry. Yeah. No, no. That's. <laughs> um, I want to ask you this. Someone that maybe um, is more um, can identify with some of the things you're talking about. Uh, their emotion is, a, like you said, a 12, where the rest are more like a 4. How can that person, like what are things that that person can do to find some sort of relief? Yes. So in that, just kind of like what Pastor Scott mentioned about in Elijah, the angel came and said, eat, sleep. So self-care is so important for somebody who's dealing with a mental health problem. Sleep is extremely important. Um, sometimes you need medication for that, you know. The eating, you know, make sure that you're eating well, what you're putting in your body, that kind of thing. The other thing that's very important, too, is if you need medication, then by all means seek that. That's another tool that I always call tools in the toolbox. You know, these are things that are helpful. The other thing is, too, is the support and therapy. You know, go ahead and seek therapy. And even though that's a hard step to do, you know, that's just another, another tool in your toolbox to help you in those times. What can loved ones, spouses, family members, friends, what can they do? I can even speak this for myself, for having um, some loved ones that are dealing with mental health. It's compassion. Compassion, just like Jesus had. Jesus had compassion. And that's what we need to follow when we're dealing with people that are, are hurting. Um, to come alongside them. To give them that support. The other thing that I think about is that sometimes you may need to be that loved one's advocate. Because they may be in a really tough spot where they can't advocate for themselves. So it's good for you to know what's going on with them, have that open dialogue, and be their advocate, where it might be, okay, guess what? I kind of see in today you're not doing as well as you did three days ago. Maybe we need to contact, you know, your counselor and maybe have a little extra counseling this week. Or, you know, those are the kind of things. That's the support. The other thing is, I can speak for myself as well, is that for the family, for the family. It's, it's a difficult situation also. You want to help and sometimes it's, you just don't know what to do. So you need support. Anybody that feels in that, you know, to care for someone else, it's, you need support. And I think one of the best supports that I received was from NAMI. And that's an organization you can go online, you know, and that support is um, where it is for the families. So actually the person there is not the one that's dealing, you know, the, the mental health part of things. It's the family. And we've talked. And just that support of knowing that I'm not alone in this. I have other families who understand what I'm going through, you know, and how can I help? It's refreshing. And that's another very helpful, helpful thing. So a, a larger extension of family for me is um, the church. And that I... Like that is what we're supposed to be. Um, and I think quickly uh, people can label Christians as hypocrites because uh, we say these things, but we don't do these things. Uh, so how can we as a church um, support and, and like, um, yeah, help find relief and support in that? Okay, yeah. Well, I'm going to kind of switch it for a second. <laughs> Instead of saying what we should be doing... <laughs> I'm going to say, because this actually I've come across this through church stuff, 
where um, what not to say. And what not to say would be, you know what, you need to have more faith. That's a very hard thing for somebody to hear who's struggling. Or even the other one that I've heard many other people say, you know, when they were dealing with things, you just need to pray more. You know, and that is so hard when sometimes you can't even pray for yourself. You're in such a state, you know, it's too difficult. And, you know, to hear these things, it's very, very, um, it leaves a person feeling judged. You know, and that's the last place that we want to be our church family is to feel that judgment, you know. Um, so those are the things that maybe are not helpful. And I've just know this because I've heard people talk about that. The other things I think that are helpful would be something like renew. There it is. Look at yeah. that. Yeah, because honestly, too, just having this conversation, a lot of churches don't want to have these conversations. It's difficult. But us doing that, that is what we need to do. We need to talk about it. The more we talk about it, the more comfortable we get with that, and the more you start to educate and know what are the things that you can do to help, you know. The other part I think is very important is build connections. I'm so big on connections <laughs> because those are relationships. And just like I mentioned, you know, you could go, you know, come to Sunday. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good, fine. Hi, how are you? Good. And then that's it. Well, that person may be struggling, so maybe what would be so helpful is to stop, slow it down, take a little time, and get to know each other. And maybe the conversation we like, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Well, how was your week? Because that could reveal things that you, you, know, you didn't know before. And that's building connection. That's building relationships. And that is fellowship. And God designed fellowship, and that's part of the reason that we need that, to make sure that we're all good, you know, and, and um, just supportive to each other. So with Renew, um, that is a group, and honestly, it's a blessing, because I've had people come, take what they need, and go. I've had people that come and stay. And that's, it's great. It's an open door, you know, so it is support. What I really enjoy is that we get, we get deep there. We get deep. So if you, you know, there's things you may not be able to talk to about with your family, but you can come into Renew and be able to say these things and be open and honest and be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is what helps us connect with each other. Because deep inside, we, you know, we have our vulnerabilities. Um, the other thing I really enjoyed about Renew and what I've seen it do is that I noticed that we were all, a lot, all of us were dealing with anxiety. So we got together and we did a little book called Anxious. And from that book, others came. And now there, it was fruitful because now there's, I see a discipleship there. I see somebody who would never connect with anybody really become connected, and these meeting with somebody on a regular basis. But see, that's what I mean about the connections. That's what I mean about the relationships and the fellowship. So, you know, that 
we will have our next renew is going to be the 20th of September. Anybody, like if what I'm speaking here about, if it resonates with you, if you feel that, I would just love for you to make that step and get in contact with me, come to the meeting. I mean, I will hold your hand all the way through. So that would just be very wonderful if you would um, make that step, because I know it's not an easy one. The, as, as we're talking, the, the thing I think, like in the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack this in a conversation, a series that I'm, I'm excited for, because I think it goes back to the heart. When, remember, Elijah goes back to the city thinking there's a revival. I think a revival that needs to happen for us and for the Western church is a revival of authentic community. Uh, and what I mean by that is real relationships, like not superficial, not not like is there a group that like looks like me and like and you kind of just go hang out, but like r like where you have these kind of conversations. For some of us, maybe we don't, um, we can't like fully identify or understand to that level, but we still go through stuff and we still uh, need authentic relationships. And I think that is so essential. You, you know what I noticed that too with Renew is that we've come together we've been vulnerable with each other we've connected but we also have seen each other outside of the church area i call them our little field trips you know we've gone to dinner together we're, we're getting to know we become family we be, we get connected and close and these are friendships that are yeah. just you know cultivating well and that that's what we're going to unpack is that's a better picture of what church is and i, I want you to this we call this our church, and this is a version of that, but uh, a biblical version also is where you get around like tables, where you spend time with real, having real conversations back and forth, not just listening from a, a, a stage kind of a thing, and that I think for us in discipleship, and even with this, is all about, like you have to have those conversations to start to see the fruit from that. Here's, here's what I want to say. For some of us, um, the, the best thing you could do with this is to start to try to put your feet in someone else's shoes, to show compassion, to try to understand, maybe because you don't feel it or see it that way, that doesn't mean that that isn't very real for them in that moment. Uh, for some of you, my hope is this, and this is the only encouragement I could give. Jesus says this, and he says, uh, if you carry a heavy burden... Um, and it feels heavy. Uh, man, just come to me, all who are weak, all who carry heavy burdens. He says, and I will give you rest. We can't solve it on our own. I, I love that analogy of a toolbox and community uh, and prayer. Those are not bad things. And, and faith, those are all good things. But they are, 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 are things of a bigger picture of how do we find uh, man, how do we find hope in the middle of struggle? Um, I think it's using those toolboxes, that toolbox, if you will, but I think it's, it's going, you know what? It, it, it's, it's not what can you do best in this moment. Uh, Christ already knows, and, and he's calling you to something, I think, much greater. Um, but that does not mean this journey is not always difficult. And it can be, um, but there is a way, and uh, there is hope, and it's found in community. It's found in his word, 
It's found in an authentic relationship with Jesus. It can be found in prayer. It can be found sometimes in just stepping, a, 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 taking a step of faith. Um, but it is not found in one single dose solution that fixes it. It is also understanding that we are all uniquely created. And sometimes that doesn't seem fair either because why do I have to carry this burden? Why do I carry these experiences? But I can tell you this. If we can all and all of us can be very level at that foot and realize this, come to me, all who are weak and weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Let me pray this over you, Heavenly Father God. God, I pray for each of us right now. For so many of us, we have no idea what the person sitting right next to us is going through and the weight that they're carrying. God, maybe first, would you just allow us to see a bigger picture of what it means to be brothers and sisters, to, to walk this journey out, following you together, that maybe we'd start to understand more or maybe just show compassion through all situations. God, for some of us, man, would you provide a, a peace that is overwhelming, that is unexplainable by our own strength, but can only come from your hand? God, would you show us, even, even in the struggles, that you are there. That even in the difficulties, you're with us. That you call us and you say, I have a plan. And have a way. And just remain faithful. And just trust me. Pray. Have faith. Go to community. Have authentic relationships. Brothers and sisters that can encourage us and keep us accountable. And, and know this, that no matter what we carry and what we face, that we have rest in the name of Jesus Christ and in his bride, the church, his community. God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. It's in Jesus' name we say, amen. Amen. Church, I want to thank you for joining us. I know today was a little different, but sometimes we have to have different kind of conversations, and sometimes the church doesn't do that, and we need to. Uh, it can be uncomfortable. It can be awkward. Um, but my encouragement to this, the church is meant to be uncomfortable and awkward sometimes. So if you leave out of here uh, without maybe building a relationship with someone else, you're missing it. So here's my encouragement. Talk to someone. Man, talk to someone. That's where it starts. Find community. Let's do life together. Uh, I love you. I hope you have an amazing week. I'll see you next Sunday.